This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Ah, it's on. Excellent. Hello, I'm Eugene McFadden in the slot they've given me. Uh, and as ever, this is pretty much going to be amateur hour and a half, maybe. Today, I am talking to Katrina Lowry, aka Neuro Teachers on Twitter. We'll be talking about who she is, why it's important to embrace neurodiversity in education, not ditch, ditch and differentiation therapy, and any other random topic across this our skulls. Is like Teachers Wednesday. Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Is that it? Is that it? I'm going to turn it off now. Um, so, yes, we're going to talk about... Um, oh, well, Katrina, Katrina is actually logged in now. She should be able to ring in in a second. I press in the co-host button or something, speaker button. I'm not quite sure. Um, hopefully she'll do that. Um, we're going to talk about who she is, embracing university in education, not ditch and differentiation, which I thought was a really good blog post, actually. Therapy and the TV show Wednesday is currently really bugging me. But I think, is that TV series trying too hard? And I can't kind of figure out the nature of the rest of the world, like in that show. Do they know magic's real or not? Ooh, look, I'm going to press invite now. Send an invite to Katrina, who should... It says connected. Hello, Katrina, Hello. can you hear us? Hi. Hello, can how you... are you? Hello, it's worked. Yay. <laughs> Yay, excellent. Always a bit, like, nervous with, like, it's like, oh, my God, it's going to work. Is it not going to work? Is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you well, for joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Eugene. That is okay. I really liked your <clears throat> blog on um, differentiation. Um, thank you. Thank no, you. That's, that's okay. That's fine. It was really, really good. And it really made me think about things because I know differentiation, you can't see me doing air quotes right now. Um, <laughs> but differentiation has become a really dirty word in the last, I don't know, two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I just kind of, I can see reasons why that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we kind of like say scaffolding now and yes. that's just different. It's basically we're, we're giving them different support strategies, but we can't mm-hmm. call it differentiation. But yeah, anyway. I have a bit of a problem with that, to be honest, insofar as I can't whether it's that blog or no, it's a different one that I've said this in. So it's like. A square is a type of rectangle, but a rectangle is not a type of square insofar Ooh, like as. That. Thank you. I use it a lot for a lot of, you know, it's one of my phrases. So you, you can have that. It's a good one. Um, feel it. Thank you. So scaffolding is a type of differentiation, but differentiation is not a type of scaffolding. Oh, I like that. Do you see what I mean? So like. You know, I've been, I go to schools a lot, you know, in my line of work. I'll, I'll, shall I explain my line of work and then I can. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. I can do a lovely neurodivergent loop round of, of my tangent that goes off on another tangent, if you like. <laughs> That's pretty much what happens on this show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so um, I'm Katrina Lowry. I'm a neurodivergent teacher. I have a diagnosis of um, bipolar condition and also dyslexia 
Um, I have it on great authority from Judy Singer herself that actually things like bipolar condition are forms of neurodivergent condition. So if Judy Singer says it because she invented the term neurodivergent, then it must be true. So, um, yes, yeah, so I had quite an interesting journey through school myself. It was the 80s and 90s. It was a crazy time. It was and, crazy. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't great to be, I mean, I was diagnosed with dyslexia at the time so I was stuck in one of those terrapin buildings down the bottom of the uh the school field oh, yeah. you know it, uh, yeah that down there where no one could see you yeah do coloring in and uh cutting and sticking that sort of thing so you know um but because I have really academic parents who got me tutors I managed to get through and get a pretty decent education some decent GCSEs and A level and go to university and I decided to become a teacher um even though everyone thought that was a crazy thing for a dyslexic kid to do, but I did it. And um, I sort of, I, I was actually a modern languages teacher. I taught German and French. That's pretty cool. When I was, when I was mainstream, like initially, that's what I was doing. And then because of the type of kids that I kept coming across, I meandered into special needs. It wasn't an active choice. It was more like, this is what I have to do kind of thing. It was just like, those were the kinds of kids that I tended to be quite good with. So I became a special needs teacher. Um, I worked as a ascend teacher and then a Sanko and then an advisory teacher. And I did that up until 20, beginning of 2020, I left the advisory teacher service. And I worked as a Sanko part-time a bit whilst I first set up Neuro Teachers. And the main reason I did that is because I'm really interested in helping kids who are like me you know, like other neurodivergent kids. Um, and, you know, like, especially when I was at the advisory teacher service, it was in Gloucestershire. And so it's a big rural county and rural schools have no resources whatsoever. Cause some of the kids that some of the schools I worked with had like 25 kids in them. Right. Yeah. Now I'm from a big city. I'm from Cardiff and I'm not used to tiny weeny little schools like that. And they had no resources, no training, nothing. Like I had never thought about rural deprivation at all until I started working in that county. And they, so they had no access to training really. And they'd, they'd be, because it's the village, right? If there was a child, a dark down syndrome child or autistic child, or, you know, a very complex child, they went to the local school and that was their local school. And they, they had no resources in order to help that child, but they were expected to, kind of accommodate them yeah and you know i'm like really i'm massively in i'm really hugely into the idea of inclusion and that children should be able to attend their local school ideally that's perfect but without the resources and without the training the staff will very quickly de-skilled and i think it's i honestly think it's about the training and the information particularly the information that you have more than actually the resources because teachers are actually really skilled and so are TAs, you know, they're yeah. amazing, right? And I've seen some amazing practice in tiny little rural schools, like amazing stuff going on. Um, but, you know, they just, it's very easy to become completely de-skilled by the situation because you don't have the information. So that's why I set up NeuroTeachers because I want to be able to like offer training from a neurodivergent person about neurodiversity and say hey look listen this isn't 
this doesn't have to be really complicated stuff where you have to buy loads of things you have to buy a massive scheme of stuff or you have to you don't need like loads of sensory equipment or anything like that you can yeah. just do this with what you've got around you and with your own skills as a teacher and what i want you to do is to just do what you're already doing mindfully with your neurodivergent learners in mind and so that's that's kind of like where i why i wrote that blog that i sent you is because you know, in there, the, the differentiation that I'm talking about, it's really simple things that you can do just as part of your normal planning. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I talk about it in the blog. So, you know, like when differentiation, you know, when you like, when someone observes you, yeah, and they say we couldn't see the differentiation. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. That's like, it's so, yeah. it's, 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 it's just what I do naturally. It's yeah. good quality first teaching. Exactly. You've done a good job then if they can't see it. But, you know, I've had I've had feedback like that as a SEND teacher, you know. Yeah. We couldn't see your differentiation, Katrina. Well, that's because I'm doing it well. <laughs> yeah, because we're, so, we're like differentiation, we're like a ninja. It's like you can't be seen. Yeah, exactly. And the kids don't want to stick out, do they? No, of course not. God, that was like, that's like absolute social suicide. Of course, especially in the, you know, a big secondary school, you don't want to be standing out, do you? And the same thing as well with your TAs as well. Your TAs should be like, you know, in and out there, in and yeah, out help, of the whole thing. everyone, yeah, like yeah. helicopter around. Exactly, yeah. and not, and they shouldn't just be with that child, the name child. They need to help the whole class. And there's a lot of time when actually it, it needs to swap around. So the specialist in that subject or the specialist, you know, in that age group, needs to be with those children or as the ta is helping the rest of the class yeah totally uh, and if you've got a good working relationship with that other professional and they are professionals you know in the room then it, this should be like spinning plates right it should you know it should be seamless so anyone who comes in there they shouldn't be see they shouldn't be able to go like oh so those are the send children over there no i think one of my I and mean, you mentioned in the blog one of my most like irritated things about when I look at I've been to a few primary schools and you've got like and I kid you not there was one school where you had the lion table and then you had the cougar table mm -hmm. and then you had like you know like, like I don't know like the antelopes or something, something like that mm -hmm. something ridiculous like mm -hmm. the prey mm -hmm. and you can guess it was on that table mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god and those poor kids are just stuck there mm -hmm. and it's like for every single lesson in this primary school mm you are there and i'm like mm, those kids need to be on that table for every mm -hmm. lesson oh. yeah yeah and i i can't I also i can't understand how those children are definitely at the same level for absolutely every single subject yeah, because any exactly. kid i've ever worked with any kind of need including myself right because i include you know because i'm a special needs kid i was in i was in that terrapin building down the end of the playground where it was freezing cold doing sticking and cutting when everyone else was doing algebra yeah you know i was that kid right and you know those kids know who they are but also as well i, I can't understand how like that everybody has a spiky profile every single human being in humanity has a spiky profile yeah yeah so how is it that they that there isn't something that they can be on whatever you know what did you say like gazelles table or the gazelles yeah yeah how yeah. can they why why isn't there something that they can be because like maybe they're an amazing artist or they're fantastic at music or you know they're, they're just really really into the topic that you're doing that particular time yeah and then what and you talk to some teachers and like oh but we've called them we've called them this name because then it's it's not obvious yeah. that and it's like dude 
it's so obvious. They know it's, in seconds. Yeah, and, and the kids, oh, you're on, you're on a triangle table. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Kids know. Mm-hmm. No. Kids, yeah. And it's the same sort of thing as well that like you see in, particularly in um, well-meaning secondary schools, you'll see, you know, they get three different tasks and say, you're a triangle, you're a square and you're a rectangle. And, and everyone can see that they're, you know, the level of task that they're at. Yeah. And if you say somebody's a triangle, why can't they try being a square or, you know, a circle or whatever it was that I just said? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? square, triangle, antelope, lion, yeah. Um, God, there's so much to unpick. I mean, the different, I mean, I can see why Ofsted wanted to move away for differentiation yeah. for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it's done badly. Yeah. But I think it's a case of baby in bath water and the mm-hmm. bath. And, you know, um, so um, we've got to press, I'm going to play, press the news button now. Because that's okay. what happens now. So that gives us a few minutes to grab a cup of tea or whatever. And then we mm-hmm. can return to discussing, uh, we could actually just kind of go through every terrible differentiation thing we've ever seen ever. <laughs> yes, um, all right. That would be quite funny. It's tra- okay. tragic. Um, I've got so many things I've seen done badly down for the years. But mm. let me, oh God, well, it's hopefully funny. Um, and then we can talk about, um, I mean, do you want to talk about, because obviously I, I myself, I've been in therapy like twice, mm-hmm. um, which has been quite interesting for me. Um, and it kind of has led me to where I am now, we can try that as well. But yeah. I will, yeah, because I think it's important that we kind of normalize that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, you know, that was my, my comment on Twitter is like, at the moment, there's a lot of stuff about therapy in, in the press for various reasons about somebody who might have somebody famous who might have written a book. Mm. Um, and, you know, it is made, made me the woman I am today. I'm completely yeah. proud. So I'm really happy to talk about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, you and I talking like this will start will be one step towards normalizing it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Why don't we press this play this button? Show is Oops, in there we go. And we're back in about seven to eight minutes. Okay, brilliant. Thanks. Thanks. Educational okay. guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue with The Guardian reporting that many head teachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families, meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. <coughs> so as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio News this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their request for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, 
Scots, half of England's students are facing financial <coughs> difficulty, with three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The Standards Advisory Group has been active for more than a decade and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former Education Minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere. So it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children, describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly compared to other countries. The AI also carries news of the decision by <coughs> Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Ms Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest head teacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the commission in jeopardy. Ms Burblesing wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many, but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Burble Singh also commented that she felt the role of social mobility czar meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alveston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project, named Flying High by pupils, will see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you know I've been doing this show for a year now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But they keep you, your data and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off, and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday, spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update 
they'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people, who in most schools are like ghosts. If Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern day make do and mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks, but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, a thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're Hello. back. I think yeah, we're back. I think I'm Hello, there we go. here, aren't I? Good, yeah. that's all right then. You're here. Yep, that is fine. You were here. So I just uh, spent that time obviously listening to the news that I just hadn't paid attention to for the last few days because I've been mm. at work. Mm -hmm. Not that I ever really listened to the news anyway. Um, and thinking about uh, nightmare differentiation scenarios, of which there have been many yeah. down through the years. Yeah, there have really been some I mean, real, really, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, I see a lot because I go to probably about three or four schools a week and oh you know, wow a, well you know and i was i was an advisory teacher and i had i think i had 55 schools um when i was an advisory teacher for five years and you know and then i also had nurseries as well so i saw the, the full whole range. range the full range of stuff and like i said i've seen some amazing practice some absolutely phenomenal practice and then some people who have got no idea at yeah. all and I, and I sort of think it's not really their fault. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 done I've worked with student teachers. I've worked with teachers who maybe lost their way, and you know, I've rarely found someone who didn't want to teach well. Yeah. But sometimes they haven't got the skills, mm. and sometimes they don't know they haven't got the skills. No. Which is, I know. and that can be quite awkward sometimes. But you know, so um, I've talked about my. Uh, experience of the antelopes versus lions tables mm -hmm. um what is your worst differentiation that you've seen i think so obviously i'm talking specifically about neurodivergent kids because those are the ones that i you support okay so mm. you know just in case people aren't entirely clear about that neurodivergent um people make up about 20 percent of the population uh, the most common types of neurodivergence that you're going to see in the classroom are autism, dyslexia, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, and developmental language disorder, which is massively, massively underrepresented. And pretty much no school does differentiation right for children with DLD. Oh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. But I will. Mm. Let's do differentiation. I want to talk about because that's my current bugbear. Because yeah. I think. Uh, we get literacy is the most important thing. You get literacy right. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I was delivering training to staff like literally two days ago mm -hmm. when I was talking about the impact of vocabulary and um, specific language delay and other yeah. sorts of things. But, but that's a completely massive, huge tangent mm -hmm. right there. But go on, differentiation. Yeah, so, you know, the first thing is is that we like our subjects we like talking right yes. as teachers um if you have a specialist subject 
it's brilliant because you get to stand up and talk about it for six hours a day if you're a secondary school teacher or a peripatetic music teacher, for example, in a primary school. It's brilliant because you get to talk about what you love. Yay. But the thing is, the children don't really know anything about what you're talking about. That's the point. That's why you're teaching them. Yeah. And the children will have varying rates of joint attention and varying rates of being able to absorb what you're saying. So, I mean, people say concentration, but they don't actually mean concentration because these kids will have amazing concentration on balancing the pencil on the end of their nose or, you know, thinking about the football match that they're going to play after school. They're concentrating brilliantly on what they want to concentrate on. They're not concentrating on what you want them to concentrate on. So what, what people, when people say he doesn't concentrate, they mean he's, he's not giving me joint attention. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So I think the first thing that you need to do is make sure that all of the children are giving you joint attention and not that clap, 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 clap thing that you get. But I mean, actually, are they tuned into what you're saying? Mm. And the thing is, they might be balancing a pencil on the end of their nose and they can absolutely recite everything you're saying and make salient points about it. So the fact that they're balancing a pencil on the end of your nose isn't actually distracting them from the learning. It might distract the kid next to them, which is a problem, but it's not necessarily distracting them. So the first thing is that people mistake, I don't know, where do you stand on things like, oh, stand on slant? <laughs> where do you stand on things like slant, Eugene? I am, um, bearing in mind, people often comment upon it. I was in a meeting with a parent yesterday, and at one point I was like actually crouching on the, on the table, not on the table, on the chair next to the table. Right. Uh, I say it now looking back, no one said anything. My... Everyone in my team or on my team has given up expecting me to stay still in meetings or <laughs> or sit properly. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, and I think there is there's almost fetishization, which I think we've got some from some American schools, mm. a fetishization about what attention quote quote marks again that you can't see yeah. um, looks like or should look like. Yeah, because I have I myself can look like I am in a different on a different planet. Balanced on a, on a chair and I've got, you've got as much of my attention I can give you at that point in time. And I can probably tell you exactly what you just said as well. Exactly. I'm currently balancing on one foot, if that helps. Because oh, I, like, I like a bit of proprioception myself. Oh, I am. Um, yeah. The tired I get, the more I seek that out. Yeah. So I occasionally have meetings in my office. I've got a stand-up desk, obvious mm -hmm. reasons. Me too. And if I'm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a game changer. Oh, my God. I have a treadmill under my desk as well. Oh, I really thought I'd get in that, but then it's like, no one's going to pay for that. But um, No, well, I mean, it's different because, you know, I'm self-employed. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. it's a different matter. Um, um, but you can get them very specifically, like, if you wait until about mid-February, there's going to be a load of them that are on eBay nice and cheap. That's a good point. I will try and do that. Just saying. No, um, so, yeah, I have, yeah, I have a standing desk. I have a treadmill under my desk. I have, like, three or four different places I can sit. I've got a yoga mat. I've got, like, a bolster. So I'm having me like I had a meeting yesterday and there was two people. The other two people who were there were one was ADHD and one was ADHD autistic. I'm dyslexic and bipolar. Right. And at one point I actually found myself apologizing to them for the fact I was stimming. And they went, isn't worry about it. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I could just. Yeah, because we're all neurodivergent. So we all get it. But yeah. yeah, I totally agree. There's this fetishization, I think, is a good way of saying it of. He's giving me eye contact. He must be oh. concentrating really well. No. Yeah, I don't expect. I've never expected eye contact. Um, no, 
eye contact is completely overrated and even track you know that whole thing about the slant is tracking isn't it tracking the, yeah. the adult around the room exactly i'm like you know i, I uh, i'm very good at recognizing when kids aren't paying attention yeah i'm very good at re recognizing when kids are apparently paying attention but they're not paying attention um and some kids are very good at apparently paying attention and being in a different world um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or fawning as well. They can be terrified. Yes. You know, yeah. like I, I went to observe a, a boy who was close to exclusion um, in, a, in a school in the south of England. And I, I was observing him and it was a science lesson, but I couldn't help but notice there was this, this girl in the class. I say little, she was a secondary school age child, but she just, you know, I was just really worried about her because I could see that she was totally fawning. And she looked absolutely terrified. And I, you know, I even said to the TA who was in the room, I said, you know, is she, is she all right? And she said, oh, she's not getting any of this. She's got a reading age of six. What's the point? I know. Oh, just... <laughs> I just like, okay, is anyone going to, like, I wasn't there for her. Yeah, but. But there was no differentiation really in that lesson at all, because this was a school, this was a school where the head teacher had told them all to scaffold up. And. Anyway, needless to say, the report about about said school was that really we needed to put in some, these are the simple things we need to put in. And if I was to relabel what I'd written in that report, it would basically say, do some simple differentiation and make sure that you understand that because the rate, the rate of information that was coming out. Anyway, we talk about our specialist subjects. Yes, we, we love do. our specialist subjects. We talk enthusiastically and quickly about them and we get really, really hyper and excited and things. And that's great for neurotypical children and for those who are interested in your subject and neurodivergent or who can process the information quickly. That's great. Right. But for those who have any kind of processing difference at all, you talking in 19 to the dozen about exothermic and endothermic reactions, interesting as they are, is not helping anyone. No. So I think probably the number one thing is, is slow down and speak less. And no one likes hearing that though. I, as someone who normally speaks an incredibly fast rate, mm. have spent, I, I actually have, I've had like actual speech therapy um but it's so teaches it's for teachers it's so important mm -hmm. to stop every so often give ch children a time to like think yeah and then move on to the next thing um but yeah no one but i've got so much content i've got to get through it yes yeah but... well i'm sorry but i could swear about that really i mean the content right the content is <sighs> You can stand there and deliver every single lesson you like, and you can love it and high five yourself about how brilliant it was and how you got through all the content. But if no one in the class understands it. Have you taught it? No, you haven't taught it, have you? You just sit and monologue. Yeah, if a, if a tree falls in the forest, if a, yeah. uh, you know, a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, or if a teacher's like taught a lesson and no one's learned it, have they taught a lesson? No. Um, but you've taught content, great. Have they learned content? Meh. No. But yeah, I, th I think sometimes content becomes one of those false idols in education. Yeah, basically. absolutely. As well. And they just keep putting more stuff in the curriculum, don't they? Yeah, which I don't mind. A, I don't mind a kind of like a, a rigorous curriculum. No, um, neither do I. No. But it's got a rigorous curriculum that can be accessed by the majority mm -hmm. um, and not 
a certain subsect of a subsection of the majority. But that's a whole another tangent right there. Um, but yeah, differentiation, as we were originally talking about. Um, your worst differentiation you've seen, you've talked about, so you're talking about a situation there, a girl reading age of six, mm-hmm. and the, diff, the bad bit was they weren't differentiating for her. There was, um, there was no differentiation really in that whole class. It was a case of the teacher standing at the front talking very enthusiastically about science. Which, fine. And um, aforementioned child who was actually there to observe was still talking about what's happening in the geography lesson. All right. Um, he was talking about the geography. So it's in that, the science lesson. Yeah. So that because he hadn't moved on from geography lesson. He hadn't lessons? processed it. He hadn't yeah. processed what had been going on because again, it was very, very content heavy, and it was, it was, it was stuff about about um, demographic information in India. So there's a lot there, you know. Oh God, yeah, loads. I'm. I can't move past the fact they got. They knew that Charlie had a reading age of six. They knew yeah. that. Yeah. So they knew that information. Yeah. What were they doing? Nothing. She had nothing that I could see, that I could observe. I mean, I wasn't there for her, but yeah. it, during the entire lesson, I saw nothing that was. There was no scaffolding. Um, there was no. There were. There, I could. I couldn't see any reasonable adjustment being made for that child Re-naging. during that lesson, and it, it upset me. It upset me a lot. But then I wasn't being paid for. To, to, you know. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm contracted. The vast majority of the reasons why I go into school is because a child is either an anxious non-attender or they are close to exclusion. That's the main reason why I go, or I go to do training or coaching around a particular type of neurodiversity with a group of teachers or TAs or support staff. Yeah. But the vast majority, most of it is about exclusion prevention. And the reason that I have a job is because we're not doing the inclusion part right. Yeah, I agree. We should I be think. getting to that point because the board, basically the conclusion that I came to is the reason that he's doing behaviours which show that he's fatigued, like he put his head down on the table and then got told off for putting his head down on the table because he wasn't sitting in the right way. Um, the reason that he he's continuously getting these these problems is because the work is there's too much stuff, there's too much information going on to the point where an hour later he's still trying to process what was going on in the lesson before. But the fact he's still trying to process it indicates he wants to learn. He wants yeah, to do well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he does. You know? He does want to. And this is the thing, like the vast majority of it, like, you know... It, Schools care deeply yeah. about the kids. You go into education because you love the kids. You also love your subject or subjects or age group, but you really, really care passionately about the kids, right? And you, you know, much as it's just been the beginning of term and like the beginning of term is always hard, you really do look forward to seeing them, you know? Yeah. And you wonder how they've been. So they're not, no, nobody's doing this deliberately. It's just that, you know, like I've been, to, I've been working in education 23 years. Yeah. We've been banging on about differentiation, whatever you might call it, you know, adaptive teaching, scaffolding up, all that kind of stuff for the entire time. Right. But honestly, if you had, if we had 
proper universal provision quality first teaching it's all basically the same thing yeah if we, if we add that right and we stitch that through the entire curriculum we wouldn't be getting exclusion we wouldn't be getting the number of kids who are anxious non-attenders because it's in the it's it's nearly in the hundreds of thousands now and that's that's a massive i mean that's huge mm-hmm. you know i mean as yeah as someone who was an anxious not an attender as well ah as a child mm-hmm. i get that yeah i was too i was in year six and seven uh, i was there uh, unfortunately i was in key stage four when it was really important to not be an anxious non attender mm. i was uh anxiously not attending um not that i knew that i was anxious Neither or, did I, no. no i just like i don't want to go in because i feel ill mm. you, yeah like, my tummy feels funny oh, okay <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it it is but then do you know what i mean it's it's actually really good that you and i have gone into education because we get it you know yeah. if you if you sh- if you stared into the abyss you know you know <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and it's the same sort of thing my, so my partner's a ta he's a qualified teacher he did his pgc last year he's also dyslexic and he has cptsd um he was an anxious non-attender in year six and seven and then again when you're in year um 10 and 11 and actually those are the kind of people that you really need to have an education because we understand how it is yeah i think representation really matters mm-hmm. um i think we talk about it but it's like you could you know like if there was if i'd have known when i was an anxious non-attender that there were people like me teachers well if there are adults like me in a school mm-hmm. i would have maybe turned up more um or felt safe or something like that yeah and i think it's you know you you aim at what you can see if you're not seeing mm-hmm. people like you come out the other end of things and be successful you're less likely to think that you can go through things and be successful absolutely um, yeah i mean it's like it's like any other kind of pro- pro- um, protected characteristic yeah um it's funny how we kind of spin off from differentiation and get it wrong. And I cannot believe that child had a six-year-old reading age and won't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. I can't get past that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ra, I mean, if you've got a six-year-old reading age, like secondary school, yeah? Mm-hmm. So that means you would have stood still in your literacy development mm-hmm. for, what, seven years, eight yeah. years maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something is going on there. Did yeah. a primary school, I mean, so many questions. Did a primary school not notice? Did yeah. a parents not notice? I mean, mm-hmm. oh, Wow, I'm actually quite irritated by this. Um, well, the thing is, it, the thing is, okay, if you can compare and contrast her with with aforementioned male student who I was there to observe, right? Mm. He's an exploder. She's an imploder. She's female. He's male. She's seen as being agreeable. He's seen as being disagreeable. You know, they're oh. both neurodivergent in different ways. Like she, she you know i don't know i don't know what her needs were i don't know why but i mean she's clearly got there's there's some barrier to learning there that's caused her to not to progress i would imagine it might have been you know it could be trauma she could have missed loads of school i don't know the reason yeah okay i'm just going on the fact that that i was given the information i was given by the the teaching assistant and you know just you know i did follow up with the senko afterwards and say i was concerned and she said we share your concerns there are matters okay. in hand and i just went okay i can't do any more than that because i'm no. like i'm commissioned to work with this other child but if you compare and contrast they're in the same class 
her situation is equally as worrying because if if a child is fawning which she quite clearly was you know that's a fight flight well it's a freeze response yeah yeah so that is equally as worrying we should be equally as worried by a freeze response as we are by a meltdown well it is a meltdown but it's just it is a meltdown meltdown, but it's an internal one but see the thing is that teacher who who loves the kids in her class she does love them right probably didn't know that that kid was fawning and didn't know that that child was having a shutdown yeah yeah um i'm extrapolating but say for example if she didn't right she would have been devastated had she really realized what actually was going on i'm sure right but you don't go home and tell your other half or your housemate or you know your nan or whoever it is that you live with a child had a massive shutdown in my class today but you do tell them if a child had a massive meltdown Mm. do you see what i mean so he's exploding she's imploding they're both having the same problem but the one who you see is the the problem the child who you get somebody an expert in to look at is the one who's the exploder yeah which i think is i think we do some many things good in education in this country oh, yeah absolutely yeah we do loads of brilliant but, things but from especially compared to like i don't know america mm-hmm. um or you know but i think some of the things one of the things we get wrong is and i think it's down to funding is sometimes a factory model that we have is too much of a factory you don't get the time to know the kids in a large school or... no, and that's it's yeah i mean and it, it is a you know if you if you're a secondary school teacher and you teach something that's compulsory all the way up to gcse like you know mm. re i'm taking not english or maths now re right yeah you're gonna have so many kids you're go through your door so many kids right you could end up like like i used to teach phse as well as like um languages and i had uh, throughout the year at some point i would have t- taught every single class in year seven and eight wow and i, I just had them for blocks you know i was doing um sex and relationships education stuff with like that because no one else wanted to do it and i actually <laughs> quite like teaching that um but so i would see every single class of year seven and eight but you know it was there was a school it there were 300 kids in each year wow so that's so, 600 you know. Yeah, you're just not going to know when are you? You know, um, it was a massive, massive school. Like at three thousand or so. Sorry, just in year in year seven and eight, there was three, there was six hundred kids altogether. So, like, you know, it was a massive school that had three thousand kids in it. So I end up, yeah, so I end up teaching two whole year groups throughout the year. Um, you know, and and you can't possibly get to know all of them. You can't possibly remember the names of all of those children. And you certainly can't know what makes them tick. No. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's, there are certain questions about should we be having schools with 3,000 kids in them? Is that a good idea? Is that really in the best interest of the children? I would argue no, um, for many reasons. And, I, and I, I've heard of, like, a mate of mine used to work in the biggest primary school in the country. And it was 1,400 <laughs> kids. And you think, a primary school of 1,400 kids? Good grief. I know. I'm like, gee. Obviously, it was in London. Um, I don't think that's healthy, you know, I don't think that's, that's, that's realistic really, is it? Well, no, it isn't. I mean, like I, you know, I had a a friend who was a classics teacher who used to always go on about the Romans, you know, they did everything in, in, um, in, in Centurion. So they'd, they'd have, actually, they'd have up to 150 troops in each, each section. 
Mm. And then you'd have a legionnaire for every thousand, right? So nothing got above a thousand. Yeah. Nothing got above a hundred as far as the kind of middle management is concerned. And no leader had more than a thousand people to deal with because it wasn't thought that you could do that. They were pretty successful, the Romans, for about four centuries as well, weren't they? They were, yeah. They were, you know, a bit stabby at times. Yeah, a bit but, stabby, um, but they did all right. <laughs> they did all right. They did, they did really good roads. That's true. Uh, really good, good roads. And they did, they did good, no, good wars as well, mm-hmm. apparently. You know? But, you know, I just think that there's there's something to be learned from that. Like maybe things shouldn't be allowed to get that that big because you're going to lose the personal touch at some point, aren't you? Yeah. And I think, you know, the nature of we are in a very high stakes game mm-hmm. um, and you need that personal touch. You need the kids need to know that you're there for them. Um, and sometimes it just it does take one adult noticing and doing something. Um, did you ever, did, when you were like, over in your bungalow as a child did you have like an adult who noticed you not until like so you know they put me in that terrapin building with mrs solly who was lovely don't get me wrong she was a nice person right but it's now what i understand to have been patronized i didn't know what patronized meant when i was like nine and ten and then really the reason that i got out of the terrapin because I got good enough to leave was because my parents got me a private tutor mm. and I had private tuition for maths and English and learned my times table and how to read. Cause I couldn't really read until I was about 11. Um, and then my year six teacher was really good. Like she, I think to be honest, she was probably the inspiration for me becoming a teacher because she was also what I now know to be very relational. Like she really got to know us. Mm. and she really understood that and she also tried to make us think she wasn't just teaching us to be compliant um you know she she really genuinely wanted to make us think and hear our opinions which is a good it's a good kind of age to do that in years in year six as well and also we did like loads of fun stuff because in them days you didn't have to have, have to do sats or any of that rubbish oh yeah i also avoided sats I was, um, I sat the year nine sats though. So I was that weird year where we sat the year nine sats, but I didn't sit the year six sats. Yeah, no, I guess. Right. So you're probably like about three years younger than me then, are you? I'm 47. I I am 42. Oh, well, there you go then. So yeah. 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 So it, 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 I couldn't really understand sats when they were first introduced and I can't really understand them now. No. Um, I mean, my kids would be fine at sats. Well, well, mine was. She really enjoyed them, actually. I think, yeah. And some people do. She really enjoyed them. She said it was the best thing about year six. Oh. <laughs> She's definitely neurotypical. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Well, you know, it's, you know, genes are wonderful things. I've got like, I've got, yeah, I've got three daughters of which one is a mini version of me. Um, and we're, we're on the process of getting her assessed. Uh, and the other two are very, you know, normal, quote unquote, normal. Um, but you it's, never know it's, how the dice is going to roll, though, do you? You don't. You don't know how the dice is going to roll. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. But yeah. Um, so the worst example of differentiation you saw was there was no differentiation. Yeah, um, I mean, the worst I've seen is nothing. Yeah, right. and I think I can agree with that one. Yeah, I could talk about, um, observe the lesson once, and there was like, uh, and we, we always get back to work. There's seven different worksheets, all color, basically oh, like God, the yeah. green, 
the light green cheese, the blue sheet. I was like, wow. I was like, all the kids are doing for things. I was like, and I said to the guy afterwards, I said, look, seriously, you know, as a lesson, it was like about, what, 10 years ago, mm. back in the days we graded things. I was like, you know what? Yeah, everyone, everyone learned something. I went around, behavior was good. Mm. And I was like, how long did it take you to plan that lesson? Bear in mind, a <coughs> uh, 100-minute lesson. And he was like, oh, yeah, about 60, 70 minutes. So, wow. Wow. That's, um, that's, like, that's, that's quite a long time. <laughs> that's quite a long time. You know, mm. yeah. It's like, is, is, it, is, it, is it worth your time doing that? Um, which, and he was like, and we had a long conversation. He, he was like, and I was like, well, you could have done this. You could have done that. You could have done, you know. But there was that period in education where it was all about different kind of worksheets. Oh, you God, know, this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've had, yeah, education's had some, interest in sacred cows or in yeah i mean yeah death by a thousand worksheets like that's what i think that's honestly what most people who've been teaching over the last 10 years think differentiation is yeah you're gonna have to make loads of stuff and it's gonna take you ages oh it's nice i'd rather you know again i was trained i was doing whole school training because i think the most in maybe controversially not i think the senko in your school sort of really tight like finger on a pulse of good mm-hmm. teaching and learning Absolutely. and i think it's in a thing because we have like a lot of input into what good teaching and learning looks like in a school mm-hmm. because you know we talk about you know scn kids or disadvantaged kids with canary in a coal mine yeah, yeah 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 but if you get if you get teaching and learning really good mm-hmm. you're going to kind of like it's not about them the, the bolted on kids the scn kids because they're going to get included anyway aren't they mm-hmm. because you know the actual the teachers know what they're doing to teach well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my training part of it was like, think about time management. We are in the resource management game. If, it's been, if you've taken an hour to plan an hour long lesson, something's going wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes teachers need to hear that, hear the idea that actually what's most important is that you're fresh and in front of that class mm-hmm. and you are thinking on your feet and you're making micro adaptions as you are teaching rather than you've got like 15 worksheets in a kazoo or whatever it is yeah um but yeah that's my uh that's my soapbox oh i totally um, agree with you i mean that's basically like that's what my blog is about is like here are some tips that you can do which don't really require you to do anything apart from one where i put change the format but then by changing the format i would do that for maybe one or two children yeah. And if it was something like, so one of the ways I changed the format was something is we were doing Vikings and I had a boy in my class whose special interest was caravans. So what I used to do is I used to like get really, really small pictures of caravans, like reduce them down to the smallest I possibly could and hide them in the text. Oh, nice. So he'd read the text and he'd go and I'd, I'd say, you know, I, I'd say, you know, Derek, what was the answer to page to question one? And he tell me the answer. You go, and also it was a 1962 streamline. <laughs> he, you know, he tell me the answer, and then he would tell me which caravan I'd hidden in there. Oh, that is really nice. That, again, that's that's relationships as well. Exactly, like, and, knowing... and also it's really easy to yeah. do stuff like that. That's simple. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to print the worksheet out for everybody else anyway. I just did one where I put some caravans in it. Yeah, I mean, and this is small for that. I really do rate your blog. So thank you. That's okay. Um, one of my things, one of my projects, one of my many projects, because I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, I've got a very good a, a head teacher who, because I have a, my attention span sometimes is a bit like, I've started a project, next project. It's like, you haven't, you haven't finished the last project. Yeah, yeah, fine, but this is, I'm like that one of those memes. You know that meme of the, of the, of the, 
man turn around at the other girl. Oh yeah, that's me. That's, that's me with like all my other side projects. Um, but yeah, so new head teacher, very good at going to me. Basically, here is your, here is here are your train tracks. And every so often, he go, no, you've come off your train tracks, back onto your train tracks now. Like, oh, fine. Um, but yeah, my, one of my pro- my current one of my projects, one of my main projects is the idea of um, every faculty in in our in our school has one teacher who works with me in a separate SDN like way. So we all meet on a regular basis mm-hmm. and we look at, and everyone's got like a, a mini research project around SEN mm-hmm. um, and they're developing what good, I mean, basically it's what good teaching looks like, but we're calling it SEN, but what, how best to support SEN students in your class. And, they, and therefore like, and therefore everyone in their faculty then, everyone in science talks to, you know, the science guy about it. And if he's not, if he's a bit stuck, he'll come and talk to me about it. So it's that's like, brilliant. so that's, oh, thanks. That's the idea of like, I st- I'm pretty sure I stole the idea from someone, but I can't remember. Um, but I think some the, for a while there, being a Senka meant you were in charge of SEN yeah. and everyone came to with the problems. It's like, no, yeah. if we get teach and learning right, we're going to get everything else right. So that's, so it's about developing teach and learning basically at a cl- uh, like a faculty level. Um, Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. It's just like, you know, it's what you do every day, not what you do on a Wednesday from one until two o'clock. With exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think it's really having like, um, it's really having an impact and it's going places because I've obviously got my kind of like my, my, hand, my team of volunteers um, and some of them have so impressed me and so surprised me with the sheer level of like passion and enthusiasm um, and they're just going off and like and doing things I didn't even think about them doing I was like wow that's actually that's actually oh, amazing that's is, fantastic do you see what I mean though that is exactly what the kind you know that's the whole kind of like relational thing as well with the staff yeah. but also as well it's like a I, another thing that I say quite a lot is well, I was an advisory teacher yeah yeah what I learned being an advisory teacher is that there's no vice like advice hmm. I like that Thank you. You can have that I'm one as well. If I'm going like. to steal that one as well. Yeah. 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 Have, have it for, for nothing. But um, I didn't invent it either. I heard it from someone else, but it's true. If you go in and tell people what to do, they feel disempowered. And this mm. is the same for your kids. This is the same for your staff. This is the same for every human, right? You tell someone what to do, you feel disempowered. Yeah. If you yeah. give them information or ideas, then they feel massively, massively empowered and you'll be astounded by what they can achieve and that's exactly what you've just what you've done there that's awesome oh, that should be a case study do you know do you have you thought about writing that up well i am actually well, one of the things again one of my side projects is i've joined the nasen whole school sen review oh so i'm doing that uh and that's what i'm doing um there's basically and you got you got to have two you got to have a project and i mm-hmm. kept flip-flopping between is my project going to be um everyone's everyone's leader of sen or the project going to be the inclusive classroom mm-hmm. um and i keep that's basically the title you've got to have and, and my project just kind of flip flops between the two different things yeah because i've got like because i am making them leaders of sen <coughs> that yeah. would definitely create inclusive classrooms um so yeah so i'm going to write it up as a case study um Oh, that'd be good. I look forward to reading that, actually. Oh, that, yeah. I think that's going to be really useful for a lot of people as well, because that's, again, you know, like, it's a low-tech solution, 
which doesn't really cost you anything other than time, empowers the staff and it's going to have a massive improvement. And do you know what? I really wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how long you've been doing this for. I wouldn't, really wouldn't be surprised if that also improves results across the school. Yeah, I think it will in the long term. Um, we've been doing this since about September. It's what we are now. Um, I've got January. But yeah, we had um, Ofsted rocked up um, and Ofsted were like, I was explaining it to Ofsted and they were like, wow, they're like Trojan horses. And I was like, Okay, I mean, that's a bit... Okay, sounds sinister. <laughs> sounds sinister. But it's, yes, you're right, they are Trojan horses. Um, but my what one of my things, getting back to, because we were talking about developmental language delay. Yeah. Um, ages ago, we were talking about that. But um, I was talking... So one of my big things is that kind of getting literacy right in the classroom level uh, and using my, we call them faculty champions, to develop what good literacy looks like in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and like... If we get that, that discipline of literacy, whatever the hell that is, if we get that right, because, you know, if you get literacy right, you're going to get most of SEN right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about, like, you know, if you can read the word, you feel better about yourself and all those kind of things and how much of SEMH is, in fact, just failure at school and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Um, let alone the fact that, you know, I was, again, I was harping on in my training with everyone. I'm like, I kept saying the same thing, but basically... If you walked up to walked up to your job and you failed for six months, you'd be off on stress leave. We've oh, got yeah. some kids who've come to school every day and failed for eight years. Mm-hmm. How are they feeling? Um, you know, and I think how much of a, of our like school avoiders is linked to that. It's linked to like failure or thinking they're going to fail. Um, but developmental language delay. Mm-hmm. Trying to address that. Do you want to talk about development, developmental language delay? As yeah, that massive well, tangent cycle we've just done. That's okay. It's good. It's good neurodivergent. But we did cycle back to it, though. Mm. We said we were going to circle back to it, and we did. Yeah. Um, so, and I, you know, it, yeah, metaphorical high five. Yeah, boom. There's a few There's a few, op, few instances I was going to go. I'm going to cycle back now, and then we're off on a different tangent. That's just, I'm like, you can't see me right now. But I'm actually drawing like a kind of clover <laughs> thing in the air around me right now. <laughs> I get it. I get. It. I totally get that. But we did it though. So we did you know, it. We're yeah. here. We're, we reached a destination. So, yeah, developmental language disorder. For those who don't know, is um, the most common. Well, one of the the most common of the classroom neurodivergent conditions is affects about one in six people. It's super super common, and um, it's where there would ordinarily there's a delay in expressive language so speech there's a delay um so a delay would mean that the child wasn't really speaking in more than were they might have some speech by the time they get to preschool but they may just be using words or two word sentences and sometimes their receptive language is really good so they'll understand instructions they'll be able to respond to you so this is why like preschools don't necessarily, well, actually a lot of preschools are all over this now. Mm. It's bit, got a lot better in the last kind of three or four years. I think because of lockdown actually, because people are noticing it more. Yeah. Um, so that's a good thing. That was a good thing about lockdown that people started to notice how different, you know, how, how speech is uh, massively affecting things. But again, you know, back to our agreeable child in the classroom, the one who's having a shutdown, 
the similar sort of thing with kids who have developmental language disorder usually have relatively good passive skills so they can understand what you're saying at a transactional level so when they're wee small you think that's fine because they understand you Mm. Um, and then they don't actually learn to speak in sentences before they get to school and then bam you're right into phonics yeah and they haven't actually learned to speak in sentences and they don't have all their parts of speech yet. So reading doesn't make any sense particularly to them because they can understand transactional language, but they can't really understand a story. And you can't produce, you can't produce writing until you've gone through all of the phases of language development. Mm. Um, so, you know, and that's what, yeah, writing is an incredibly, we, we forget as experts, we can write. We can forget how incredibly complex writing it's is so as a skill. It's, so, it's such a difficult yeah. thing to do. The other thing is as well, what I came across the other day, which is this thing that I totally forgot, right? And this isn't about DLD, but this is about writing. If you look at the x-ray of a hand of a four-year-old as compared to a hand of a seven-year-old, the bones aren't even like anywhere near developed in a four-year-old. It's no wonder that they find it really difficult to write. Yeah. In other countries, we're not, we're not asking children to write until they're six or seven when their hand is just much more developed. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, but... I'll get, I get parents often say to me, oh, he's five and he can't write his name. I'm like, well, he probably his bones haven't developed yet enough for him to be able to write his name. Yeah. And it, and it's, and you, you've got those outliers who, who you could do earlier because that bones develop earlier. It's almost mm-hmm. like, and then it's like, then, then they become like, oh, you're really clever because you can write your name early. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy exactly. or because your hand happened to develop a bit better. Yeah, exactly. And the same sort of thing with developmental language disorder as well. And like where, I mean, I, I live in, I'm back in the city now. I'm back in Cardiff. Um, when I used to live in Stroud in Gloucestershire, I don't know whether you know anything about Stroud, but it's basically this big hippie town. It's lovely. No, no. My it's, geography it's, is terrible. So. Well, it's in Gloucestershire and it's it's kind of hippie central really, you know? Yeah. A, it's like a festival, but no one went home because they already lived there sort of thing. Yeah. So a lot of the parents have a lot of ideas about, you know, not making people do things till they're ready and so on and so forth. So you would get a lot of these children who had really great passive skills, but couldn't actually produce speech sounds and were going to school. Mm. And they, you know, I don't want to, I want him to develop at his natural level and da, 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 which is all well and good if we were all in the wild, if you see what I mean. Yeah. If you're trying, if you're expecting kids to go into reception and they've got sap pin to do in week one. Yeah. You know, it, it ain't happening, really. It, they they haven't even developed speech sounds, and suddenly you want them to do phonics. It's just it's just setting kids up to fail, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so I think you know, there needs to be more understanding, really, that developmental language disorder is a thing. It's re- it's it's it is related to things like dyslexia and dyspraxia and and so on because it is a it is a, a neurodivergent condition. Mm. And also the two can co-occur. So, you know, a lot of kids who have DLD end up being dyslexic or dyspraxic as well. Well, they always were, but do you know what I mean? You, they get yeah. diagnosed with that as well. So that's the thing then, you know, like if a, ch- if a child can't speak in sentences, then they are disadvantaged by the time they start, they start reception. So there is a good chance that they're going to find reading and writing very, very difficult. And they were already behind, probably about two years behind. 
you know and when are they going to catch that up if there's nothing there's nothing in place yeah and you were talking two years behind when you're like five or six yeah that's like that's like a million years a, yeah it's like a third of your life yeah. it's like you know and you see everyone else accelerating and it's like oh they're good at this i'm not uh school isn't for me and yeah. that's it yeah exactly just, like i've had you know a, a friend whose ch- child had a similar kind of thing and you know he went for the first couple of weeks and he went i've tried school now i'm not going anymore i've done it yeah. now it's done yeah so i'm over that yeah over that i don't blame him um exactly. you know my um yeah daughter number two daughter number one loves school um she's very sporty very like uh academically able maybe you know social but everything else daughter number three loved school academically able very sporty everything else mm. daughter number two you know my little clone you know we have we have battles in the morning some days um because you know she's very clever and incredibly like you know like she's hyper hyper verbose you know like remember like she was two years old talking to us about poison dart frogs wow thank you thank you octonauts that's octonauts um <laughs> oh i love octonauts octonauts is amazing oh, i love that but like she just come along and it was like that's a poison dart frog and it's like are you two years old what are you doing um but yeah not a fan of school you know uh not a fan of her handwriting you know she struggles to write struggles to spell uh she can read really really well um that doesn't particularly like the boys in her class who are loud uh, and rambunctious and that's very much not her bag so but you know we will get there one way or the other oh i'm sure you will and she's got you to support her and also as well i think like if if she is very like you then you'll know you know yeah. you understand what it's like and like you were saying earlier about representation yeah she's um my little clone but then you know i went for a phase of both of us just kept winding one another up because we were so similar we're like in a permanent feedback loop um but we're up now and actually thanks for actually this like this um this radio show is it a radio show is it a podcast whatever you want to call it it's both. um <laughs> it's both it's a it's a kind of merger i was talking to someone called g um and she had a very similar situation and she said you got to take a step back um from your child and i, and I had a conversation with her on this radio podcast thing and then literally the next day I felt myself getting into like a one of those feedback loops. I was like, nope, think, step back, be an adult. Uh, and it just totally changed my relationship with her, which is really nice. Which is really oh, good. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like kind of this this thing is like my, my talking therapy. Therapy. There we go. Mm-hmm. Nice little um merge. There you go. See we, we went round again in that little bit of the clover or whatever it was you were drawing. Yeah. We went round into another little divot there. Yeah. So I've, divot, I've been in therapy. Is that the technical word? I'm not sure. I, I've just made it up now. It's just what we're going to call it now. Divot club, <laughs> what we're going to call it. Uh, wrong turn. Um, so yeah, I've been in therapy twice in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I suspect probably my best therapist is actually probably my partner who says things to me like, I think you're feeling this emotion now. I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh, wait, wait. You're right, I am. Yes. Um, Excellent. Yeah, so that's that's quite helpful for me. Do you have a bit of alexithemia then? Oh, I, yeah, totally. I have. I rarely know what, what I'm feeling, um, which is daughter number two, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I rarely know what I'm feeling. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I am feeling this emotion. But often enough, I don't notice. Like, emotions happen in a different room in my head 
to me um as in fact does a lot of my sensory input so i've like dislocated things or like cut my hand open and not really noticed or cared um mm -hmm. and then be like oh wait i'm feeling something i'm in pain maybe maybe i'm itchy no it's i'm bleeding it's pain okay um but yeah sometimes i confuse pain with being itchy so that's a bit of an interception thing then yeah so yeah it's interesting how they're all linked up, though, isn't it, with the interceptive difference in the, the alexithemia. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I, I kind of also, like those two things, I kind of wish I'd known about those at the beginning of, of my teaching career. Oh, yeah, you know? me too, definitely. Um, and also as well, like, I, I, I hate to confess this as being an, having been an advisory teacher and also a Sanko, I've written, like, probably not hyperbole at all but hundreds and hundreds of ehcp applications in my life and yeah. i have written as an outcome i have written will learn to understand will learn to understand their own feelings will learn to uh, identify their own feelings in tons of gcses as an outcome and i didn't realize i was being ableist because that yeah. was a thing that you wrote about autistic kids yeah um but uh, yeah, I was yeah. wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But I didn't. You see, the thing is, like earlier on, I didn't. I, like I've only really found out about that in the last five years. And you know, it was whilst but I was I an think... advisory teacher. By which point, I'd I'd written. You know, because advisory teachers, you have to write like three or four reports a week for an EHCP. See, ah, oh, I mean, EHCPs, in many ways, irritate me because I think they are really irritating. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm quite good now. I'm, I'm batting quite well at getting and I was talking to the Senko about that yesterday and she was like you wrote how many last year and you got how many through and I was like is that a good number then and she's like but it turned out it was um mostly because I've I keep reading about how to like just cause problems at county um I recommend anyone listening do the Ipsia SEN law course a very helpful uh, course yeah, that is really good yeah. such an amazing course for you to be able to say to county I think you'll find that in a the, the re, what we look at now is the Children and Families Act of 2014 uh, and legally you cannot turn down an assessment because that's a really helpful phrase to have um, and trot out anyway that's yeah it. I had it saved to my phone actually oh nice I've got it saved to my desktop um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I'm going to stick that here now in my email mm. um, and you know I was talking to a parent yesterday in that meeting where I was like kind of hunched like a, like a vulture on a chair um and I talked about well, what's going to happen. Here's the game we're going to play. We're going to write the EHCP application. They're going to turn around and go, "Ooh, no!" But you're going to, mm. we're going to come back. It's just knowing how to play the game, and it shouldn't be this way. It should not be this way. No, this is really be. unfair. Mm -hmm. So that's, but that's not even talking about EHCPs. Have got loads of words in them sometimes, oh, and you get them, you. and it's like, God, what do these words mean? Why don't you just write down as you're meant to write down? Needs TA support five hours a week for this. Mm. Needs. One-to-one uh, -one time with a speech and language therapist, one hour a week for that. Why don't you? Mm -hmm. They don't write that in it. They should write that in it. They don't. I mean, legally, they should write that in it. Mm -hmm. But and then yeah, things like learn to explore your emotions. Uh, eh. Yeah, you know. I, know, I know, and I like. I did write it loads of times, and then realized, found out about alexithemia and the the link with interceptive sense and realized that and also spoke to my friend who's autistic and i don't you know i don't know why i hadn't thought to ask her really before that she yeah. said yeah sometimes i don't know how i'm feeling until about three days after it's happened yeah and i was like oh god yeah you have said that to me before 
why haven't I made that link? But you don't if you're not in. If you're not in it, you don't realize it, you know. And even me, as a fairly switched on individual, sometimes I forget. So, like, we had like a, a big conference at our school on Tuesday, and like, there's all these people, strangers from the outside, mm-hmm. who were like in our like communal area. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I-, I don't want to leave my office. There are all these people here I don't know in my space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, am I feeling anxiety? What am I feeling? And I was like, I don't feel anxiety. I'm feeling dread. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I couldn't, I couldn't actually name the emotion I was feeling. Um, but then I was like, this is what children, this is what I used to feel like all the time as a child. This is what children or the EBSA feel like probably a fair bit. Um, but yeah, so you forget because you're not living it, you know. Um, no, but I mean, I should be a bit more like, you know, I am neurodivergent myself and I'm not, though I'm not autistic. Um I should like, like, anyway, I probably am being a bit mean to myself, but you, you know, more, you do better. In the words of Maya Angelou, you know more, you do better. And that's all you can do. And everyone knows more and does better every day. The world becomes a better place. Exactly. Um, you know, um, but I do think EHCPs have got too much ableist language in them. Oh, way too much. Oh, way too much. You know, and is the, the entire, I mean, oh, again, that's just a whole different, like, we could just moan about EHCPs for like, till the cows come home well i'll come back on if you want we can do a yeah. about ehcps and oh that'd be really good we could do more about ehcps how to write ehcps uh and things to say to local authorities to make them give you ehcps i think people <laughs> would find that really useful actually yeah possibly so well, we could do yeah it. i mean but i do that say i see the same dance so you know i mean at the moment like a, a, besides being employed by schools I, or local authorities or mats or whatever i get employed by parents quite a lot and I'll say, you know, if you're going to apply for the HCP, this is the dance that we're going to have to do. So expect that it's going to get turned down, but you are going to appeal and they might ask you to go to mediation, which means you have to go to the posh hotel on the industrial estate and drink the tiny bottles of water with the little pencils with the name on it. And the person has to listen to you and they come down from London on the train and the local authority pays for all that. And then they agree that they are going to actually assess and they're going to do it every single time because that's what they do. Yeah, and it's like, why the hell don't they just, why? Well, this is the thing as well, you know, like, again, the, the figures have come out again, like, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. 95% of appeals go in the parents' favour anyway. Yeah, I know, it's ridiculous. And it's so just what's like, the point of turning it down then? Because it's the amount of parents who don't appeal. Yeah, I know, because they're basically ho- hoping that, you know, you find a brick wall, then you'll just go away and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, it is like, it is like again, it's a middle-class thing, isn't it? You have it to is. be a champion middle-class letter writer if you have a send child. Yeah, uh, and, and that's so annoying. It's Let alone, really annoying. yeah, we, we could talk about, like, you know, how this, this lecture and being middle-class, how much, you know, that, that massive crossover there, how many working-class kids who are dyslexic haven't got that diagnosis well this is the thing that again like i said i was talking to to about a very exciting project i can't tell you about yet to eugene Ooh, i was talking to okay. two other neurodivergent people in business yesterday and um and you know we were again like saying right so i have a diagnosis which is my privilege yes the fact that i'm diagnosed is because i'm privileged now and i can literally tell you that it's a privilege because my in the in the 80s when i was nine when I was diagnosed with dyslexia, my parents paid for that from an educational psychologist, which was pretty much unheard of at the time. Mm. Nobody did that. 
but my parents did but my parents are psychiatrists so they're pretty clued up and they knew about these things and they knew a bloke who could you know who would do the assessment um so i am privileged to have a diagnosis on paper right but like you say there's all of these kids there's loads of kids who just aren't going to get a diagnosis who aren't going to get recognized who aren't even going to get you know notice as being anything other than disagreeable and i think yeah and one of the things getting back to my three daughters is i'm determined that they're going to be disagreeable <laughs> yes. you know I, I, the world needs more disagreeable young ladies absolutely. who aren't going to take crap from people um uh, yeah absolutely and this is the thing that my daughter is you know i can definitely say i've done a good job in raising a disagreeable 12 year old <laughs> yeah and that's what, that's what we need in the world we need more disagreeable oh, people i'm fiercely proud of her sometimes she says some things to me and i've got no choice you know like when she was three one time when she was three um she said oh mummy i want swimming lessons and i said you're not, not old enough for swimming lessons yeah i can teach you and she went but mummy you're not a proper swimming lesson there <laughs> she's right i'm not so yeah. she got the swimming lessons <laughs> i think yeah i love my, my dad my dad definitely raised me to be disagreeable um and he used to say to me things like you got you got to be your own man you got to walk walk your own road um and the amount of times i kind of in my teenage years threw the back of them i'm walking my own road i'm being my own man yeah and he's like yeah you are yeah and i look back now and i'm like yeah that was good advice it is um, good advice, yeah. You should be proud of that. Yeah, no, that's good advice. I think it's actually quite a nice place to end it. Um, mostly because I've got a kid's birthday party to pick up the pieces from. Um, but we could talk on for ages, actually, about all sorts of things. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on. Um, that's all right. I'm quite happy to come back. Just let yeah, me know. Yeah, please. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do next first first saturday of february whatever that is um we could talk about ehps oh, we could do it uh ehps all the things we wish we knew um okay so let's 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 do that that yeah. might yeah i mean randomly i've got like the two most listened to teacher talk radio podcast last year i don't know how that's possible oh, did um, you? That's yeah cool. i don't know yeah i don't know how i think one of them was Peter Warmbray because he's like way more popular than me. He's amazing. Um, like, like he's one of the people who's helping with the neurodivergent teachers network. So oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is a neurodivergent teacher? Oh, we went. Oh, yeah. I, I never, never, never even mentioned it. Right. I'll just yeah, say really, plug, really quickly. Plug, quick, plug it. Neuro neurodivergent teachers network. We've just formed a um a, a CIC community interest company, and we are going to be hoping to do support neurodivergent teachers. So number one, we want to do a massive survey to find out how many of this there are, what kind of neurodivergence they are, um, neurodivergent needs they have, and what what support they need. Are you on Twitter? Yes. Ooh, what is your Twitter address account? It thing? is uh, neuroteachnet. At neuro at, at neuroteachnet. Neuroteach uh, net. And that actually, uh, Pete runs that. Um, he runs that page. I have now followed you. Excellent. Great. Yeah. There so we go. we're going to do some research. We want to get into initial teacher training to talk to people about being more neuroinclusive in the way teacher training is delivered to students. 
Um, We want to get in with employers like Matt's local authorities um, to talk to them about the advantages of employing neurodivergent teachers and TAs. And we also want to ideally have a kind of like, not exactly a helpline, but you know, like a chat option that you can get advice and information about yes on the website so it's quite we're quite ambitious um we're going to need to get some grants and things like that for the money to do that but we've got quite a big network of about 500 people at the moment oh, and we're yep. on facebook as well we're on facebook neuro um, neurodivergent teachers network on facebook and also we're on instagram neurodiver uh, at neuroteachnet on instagram as well at neuroteachnet there we go someone actually someone's actually asked for it in the chat box. So I've oh, done brilliant. That. Look at that. Um, I'm happy for the unhappy. I'm sorry for the unhappy icon. I Was it an happy icon? Oh, I didn't realize that. Doesn't matter to me. Um, there we go. Thank you. That's the case. Silent voices of, of, of T Gray. Okay, cool. On that note, there, I'm going to press the close music. It, Katrina, Katrina, it has been amazing and wonderful. Thank you for coming yeah, it's on. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, let's do it again. Let's do that February thing about EHCPs. Yeah, February, uh, EHCP's How to Make People at County Cry. Um, or like not yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. I will press the close button now. All right. That thank is. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. That's it, and click.